So I thought I'd read some more to you from uh, Between Two Tigers and that the two tigers being communism and Buddhism in Vietnam. And so these are stories about people in the uh, persecuted church. Um, some of us now understand what the Vietnam War was really all about. I know I'm getting a clearer understanding. I know when uh, we were in high school and college and young men were going off to war in Vietnam, it was a, a very, very unpopular, what they call unpopular war. You can see why. The stakes are very high. Uh, it's not just about land and property and ownership of land, but it's about souls in those countries, you know, because there was so much at stake. And so um, we're seeing now that communism was able to regrip the people and drove the church underground. But we thank God that he has a plan even for the church to survive through persecution. And so I believe that there is a grace to endure persecution that's given to people, we can see it in the lives of these individuals here, that they are, are, are graced to be able to endure persecution and continue to preach the gospel. And so it's, it's refreshing to see that. So we'll start. This one is a chapter on pulling down strongholds. No greater joy. One of the most exciting, joyful times for me when I was in prison. After serving the Lord, being in prison gave me much time to be quiet before him. How many times have we heard that today? Huh? For the first three months, I was confined to an isolation cell. During that time, I received a vision from God about what I should do after my release. So, you know, God will always give you hope and encouragement. You know, if, if God shows you a vision of what you're going to do when you're free, you know you're going to make it through prison. Yeah. So that's always good. <laughs> I do not like serving the Lord according to tradition, like a wheel rolling over and over again. I like facing a challenge. The more I questioned the Lord about this new vision, the more he showed me about myself. I had to repent more and more. After a long time of repenting, the Lord started to encourage me. In isolation, I had many friends, rats, roaches, mosquitoes. The rats came into my very dirty room through a big hole, pushing away my rice bowl that I used to cover the hole. <laughs> when I slept, I had to wrap the blanket around me so they wouldn't disturb me. I had all kinds of noises, laughing, crying, shouting, singing, all the noises from this hell. Although I had prepared my mind to go to prison, I felt homesick and missed the church very much. I had no one to talk to but God. As I waited upon him, he showed me that I would stay in prison a short time and would eventually serve him in a place free of communism. Prayer was the best food to keep me strong. While I was in prison, the brothers and sisters outside were studying scripture, praying, and pulling down evil strongholds. I prayed for the defeat of my enemies, and I believed God for a release of his power in all of this. I prayed for the church to have victory over the powers of darkness and for the Muslim world. I also prayed for the work to bring, uh, of bringing Bibles to Vietnam. Since I could not see the light of day, I only knew that it was day or night when I would hear peddlers selling their goods or the noise of many cars and motorbikes moving around. I longed for the times I was called out for questioning because this gave me a chance to breathe fresh air in the hall. After three months in isolation, I was transferred to Fandang Lu Prison in Binton District. One policeman from the Domestic Affairs Bureau, Captain Thang, was from South Vietnam. During the war, he went to the north. After the war, he came back and began working as a policeman of domestic affairs. He worked with me for three months. Captain Thang wore the uniform of a domestic policeman complete with hat and medals. I had to sit very straight in front of him at a simple table. Usually there was a teapot and two cups on the table. He wrote down my answers on a piece of paper, and whenever I wanted, I also took notes. Often he would get angry with me and stalk out of the room, returning a short time later to continue his questioning. 
Captain Thang sometimes tried to talk nice and tempt me by saying, I have the authority to release you. But when I wouldn't agree to his suggestions, he would threaten and mentally oppress me. He questioned me about house church groups and for information about the people in the official church. One day he asked me what I thought about uh, Bui Thu, known to us as the police pastor in Hanoi. I answered, he is not a pastor. Mr. Thang asked why. Because he does not preach from the Bible. He preaches communism. Why don't you stay in the official church, Thang demanded. You split up and form these house churches. Spiritually, I didn't establish the house church, I respond, sipping slowly on my cup of tea. God did. Where do you get the money to continue in this? Oh, the children of God give generously to the work of God. Thang lit a cigarette, took a deep puff, and narrowed his eyes. But we didn't permit you to ask for money from the people. I shrugged and casually set my cup down on the table. It is true. I didn't ask them. They gave it to the Lord. They didn't give it to me. Who are your workers? What are their names and ages? He demanded, his voice rising. The workers that I have trained are so many that I cannot remember them all. You have not been ordained as a pastor yet, so why are you a pastor, he shouted. I nodded. Yes, I have not been ordained. The people call me pastor, and that means shepherd of the flock. The captain paused to scribble my response. Do you have any relationship with other house churches, he persisted. I looked at him coolly. Yes, all the other house churches are very good. Thang stood, knocked his chair aside, and once again stormed out of the room. I had written a paper about the persecution of Christians in Vietnam, which the police did in my home. They questioned me a long time about that paper. I did not know at the time that thousands of Christians around the world were writing letters about me to Vietnamese government officials. In my writing about the history of the persecuted church, I had criticized the lack of religious freedom. During one of our questioning sessions, Captain Thang challenged me on this. How could you dare to accuse the government of not giving freedom of religion? I leaned forward in my chair, my voice steady, because in this communist country there is no freedom of religion. He fidgeted with his package of cigarettes. You accuse us like that, but is there, no, there is no proof. Prove it. Very easy, I shot back. I am here, and that's proof that there is no religious freedom. The captain jumped to his feet and stomped outside. Regaining his composure, he returned a few moments later and continued, Under the former regime of President Thieu Ki, there was no freedom of religion. You never lived under his government, so you don't know that, I argued. Under Ki's rule, if we wanted to build a church, we just built it. If we wanted to preach, we just preached. If we wanted to distribute tracts, we just gave them out. Nobody stopped us. The captain kept to his government propaganda. No, in communist countries, all kinds of religion are present. I smiled. Yes, that's true. They are present, but they have become your tools. Even now, Captain Thang, you are serving communism, but inside you, you do not find peace. Captain Thang looked around, away and let his breath escape slowly as the truth of my words penetrated his crusty heart. Yes, I didn't find peace. Then his eyes flashed. But, but I then found that against communism, there is no greater ideology. But then I found that against communism, there is no greater ideology in the world. When I reminded the captain that communism was collapsing in Russia, he once again stormed out of the room. During the months of interrogation, the Lord taught me many things that I wanted to write down. I asked my wife to push some pencil lead into a banana and, and the stuff used cigarette paper inside dried instant noodle bags. My wife also sent through five Bible pages from the Psalms and some of the books of the Gospels. She wrote me a letter telling me about the situation of the church outside and their prayers for me. Finally, she got caught and the police would not allow her to bring me food for three months. Since this was a political prison, many of the prisoners were men of great knowledge who hungered for magazines and news. They even wanted to read the Bible. When it was my turn to empty our basket of garbage at the end of the hall, a prisoner would call Nguyen. I will hand over some garbage. 
That was the way we circulated my Bible pages. At nighttime, we would have music <clears throat> and entertainment. The guards allowed us to sing. Each prisoner would take turns singing. The others would sing the world songs. Then they would say, now your turn, Nguyen. So I would sing hymns. From Fan Dun Lu camp, they transferred me to Chi Ho, a huge transfer camp in Saigon for those who go to the labor camps in Vietnam. At Chi Ho, I was questioned only once by policemen who wanted to know if I knew any foreigners. The foreigners are sending you chocolate, but because you are a prisoner, you are not allowed to receive it. I was puzzled by this, but afterward my wife came to visit me and explained that the Christians in America sent me the chocolate. At Chiho, I was placed in a small room with 60 prisoners, and I got to share the gospel with all of them. In the beginning, there was not enough time to follow up the new converts. While sharing the gospel with someone, there were two lines of people lying down and one line of people walking back and forth on a path one foot wide made through, through the bodies. I would walk back and forth talking privately to the men walking near me, always under the watchful eye of the police informers. Although it was against the law to preach, I still shared the gospel and gathered my converts for teaching. Eventually, my wife sent me a very dark green mosquito net so that we could hide from the police under it. They could not see through it. We hung it using a piece of cloth with sticky rice. We put the rice on a big piece of cloth, then the piece of wood behind it and the string and a string we would we would stick it on the wall. Sometimes cloth like that would hold about 80 pounds. That's a sticky rice. Six or seven men could fit under the net. At night, we all went under the mosquito net. It was hot under the net, and we would sweat as we talked about God, but we were all happy talking about the Lord. At night, some people would play chess or gamble. Some would sit around talking or telling stories while others sang songs. Under the net, we had different groups of men visit. We acted out stories saying, now is the time for the movies. Some prisoners would act like Kung Fu or other characters. I would share about a Bible person like Daniel, Joseph, or Samson and would act like that person in front of all 60 men. In my first two months at Chiho, I had 12 strong new converts to Jesus under watchful eyes. Eventually, I was transferred to Tong Li Chan Camp. For three months, I had to sleep on the wet floor. This is how I got rheumatism. In this labor camp, there was no more free time as in Chi Ho. This was the place where they punish you. They would bang on a tire rim to wake us up. We would walk to the area where we had to, to work. We walked two by two, just like the army, with the police in front and in back of us. They would give us a piece of land that we had to finish in that day. At first, the rheumatism in my knee was very painful. When I walked too much, it swelled, but I still had to go. Nearly every day, they changed the place where we worked. It would be 10 kilometers, 20 kilometers, or 100 meters away. We never knew until the next morning. We all had to go at the same speed. If one went slower, the police would ask that person if he wanted to escape. I had to use a stick to walk. The guards only showed sympathy if we gave them gifts. With a communist, money is the best. A friend, Brother Thang, the same, the same name as the police captain, helped me. Thang means victorious, Miss Thang. <laughs> we had an opportunity to visit at this his prison area and talk a while. There he and I shared the gospel with others. Every morning we would gather in the yard for roll call before going to the labor fields. In the afternoon we would have to gather back there again and be counted to see if anyone was missing. Afterward, everyone would have one hour to take their bath. During this time, I would teach about Jesus. We had to change locations all the time. I would sit in the yard or under a tree or by the side of the building. One time an informer threatened me. Here it is prohibited to preach. You are preaching, so you will be put in an isolation cell. If because of preaching the gospel we have already come into prison, then going to an isolation cell doesn't mean anything. That is no threat, I replied. 
A week later, the police put me in isolation. I didn't think it would be very terrible, but the cell was like going to a toilet, far worse than my cell in Saigon. It was a hole in the field with bars on top. During the day, I could see the sun. At night, I could see the stars. They chained one of my feet up on the wall, and I sat like that all the time. Later, they gave me a handful of rice and some salt. I was there two weeks and thought that when I got out, I would no longer teach and preach. When I was released from the cell, I drank a bowl of liquid sugar and cane milk. I was exhausted, but I continued to teach. One night, the police threatened to put me back in isolation. I shared my things with other brothers and prepared to go, but the next morning when the police called me up to the office, they wrote my release papers and let me go. If we think of Christ's love and the suffering he endured for us, then we feel our suffering vanish. I encourage anyone who is in prison to meditate on God's love and how Christ died for us. It greatly comforts me to know that the church around the world is praying for me. I am not alone. I want to give you my deep appreciation to the voice of the martyrs. Through you, many brothers and sisters around the world know how my imprisonment, know about my imprisonment, and also that of other Christians. We are comforted, comforted and encouraged. I desire to be a voice of the persecuted brothers and sisters to speak up for them in the next generation. Amen. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> okay, this one is standing on a firm foundation, that your joy may be full. My family was raised worshiping idols. We sought the counsel of witch doctors while one of my children was dying of a sickness, and my wife also did not have good health and died. After I believed in the Lord, he showed me John 16:24 in the word which says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. I prayed for three nights and read through the book of John. One of my children had malaria. I prayed for healing, and on the third day my child was healed. The Lord also healed my other two children, a son and a daughter. He used these things to show me that he was real. There was a very big meeting with 300 tribal members at the home of Brother E. His home has a bamboo floor and the roof is thatched. The walls are also bamboo and tied together. We have to climb up a piece of wood like a ladder to the house. Poles were placed under it to hold it up. The house is small with three rooms. One family member lives on one side and the other and in the middle is a place for meeting, praying, and singing. On the other side is a room for the brothers to sleep. Many people surrounded the home during the meeting because there was not enough room inside. Three years ago, there were only three Christian workers. But at this meeting, there were about 30 Christian workers among the group. The whole village is Christian. So they were all coming one by one to sing. The Christian workers were meeting in the upper room along with many other Christians as, as would fit in the room. A hundred or more had to stay outside in the yard below. They sang and prayed loudly, so the police came. The village police were plain clothes. As they climbed up the stairs and entered the rooms, the Christians did not run but kept singing. The police brought the 30 workers to the police station while the whole village followed them. All 300 people, including children, walked on the dirt road one and a half kilometers to the police station. Only the elderly stayed at home. It looked like a big parade. We sang children's songs such as, When I Go to Heaven, Where the Young Sheep Live Together with Beloved Jesus. When we arrived at the police station, everybody kept singing and praying. We stood outside of the building, which had a metal roof and wooden walls. Three policemen were in the building. The police said, This is a working place. You are not allowed to do that. But we kept singing and praying. The chief of the village told the brothers and sisters to go home. But the whole village have followed, wanting to protect Brother E. We need Brother E. We want Brother E, the people continue to say. If you want to arrest someone, arrest all of us. If you want to kill, kill all of us. The district police also came. The district police prohibit worshiping and meeting together. Yet all 300 villagers were not afraid to ask them to release these Chinese workers. 
the hunger for the word. Many tribal people are becoming believers and want to have freedom to worship the Lord. Some haven't been taught much in the word. The government tries to keep the tribal people very simple. One night, the police brought a film into the village showing a robber who steals things. In the film, the government kills the robber. The police were using this to brainwash them. The film also communicated a threat to pressure them. If you do something wrong, you will be killed like this. In the picture, it was very terrifying how the government kills those who create problems. That night, the police also tried to find the source of all Christian literature to punish the one who was bringing the Bibles here. The police asked everyone in the district one by one, who brought you this? They ordered people to tell them who brought the gospel so they could find the source. One brother from uh, the Sateng tribe was the first one who had a Bible in the village. During that time, he was very terrified, and not knowing much in the word, he hanged himself. Later, the police arrested Brother E again. To prevent others from following him, they invited him to a meeting with the village officer. They arrested him there so that the others did not see them take him away. Brother E had two Bibles. Before he was imprisoned, he gave one to me. The police accused Brother E of forcing people to sell their buffalo or oxen and other criminal activities. They sentenced him to three months in prison at Tongli Chan. He sawed logs and planted white potatoes in the labor camp. His wife was allowed to see him only once. The church was very young and they did not know how to pray, so they seldom prayed for him. When they believed in Jesus, they didn't have any Bibles, only small excerpts from scripture. But these scriptures were enough to give them a foundation to resist fearing persecution. We continue to train others in the Lord to become strong and not forsake him. The gospel has spread from Ben Long to uh, Fu Long province, a large province. There another brother, too, also believed in the Lord. In one village, a mother who was a Christian held her dead baby in her hands. She said, God can heal even though there is no more breath in the child. The baby was dead for half an hour, then came back to life. I stayed at this village for a while before going to uh, Folk Long Province where I helped the new converts in Christ burn all of their idols and charms. In the tribes, witch doctors are in charge of everything. The next time I went there, 200 people gathered in the morning for a meeting. They had heard about the one-year-old baby who had come back to life. That was a divine opportunity to share the word. One person was bitten on the heel by a brown poisonous snake. Snake. Then someone is bitten by this. When someone is bitten by this kind of snake, he dies within 24 hours. There was no medical help nearby, so we prayed for this man, and he lived. Some of the people in that village were disturbed by our prayers to God and this demonstration of his power, so they reported us to the police. Our church meeting lasted until noon. When I had finished preaching, five policemen came wearing army clothes. They had rifles and were riding motorbikes. They looked at me and said, not this person. Not knowing that I was the leader, they left. If I wanted to, I could have run away. But if I had run away, I would have contradicted my teaching and left the brothers and sisters confused. If we serve the Lord, we embrace and do whatever happens to us. So I stayed there. My Bible is the only one in the whole village, and it is very precious. There are two workers, but only one Bible, Old and New Testaments. Whatever happens, we cannot afford to lose the Bible, so we try to find ways to keep it safe. On one occasion, I had already given my Bible to someone when I was surrounded by the police. They grabbed me by the shirt and asked, are you the pastor? I replied, I am not a pastor. They asked, are you a preacher? I did not know what to say. I am a simple witness for the Lord. Preacher means you are the one who shares the word. I said, yes. They tried to find evidence. They searched and searched and found a gospel of John on another worker. They also took away one small Bible as one had a, a small New Testament in his pocket. There were many times when the police had wanted to arrest me, but they wanted to know for sure who was the one who preaches the word. This time they knew for sure. They took me away on their motorcycle with me sitting between them. 
they held guns up to me and brought me to the police station which was quite small two rooms about 15 meters long there were more policemen inside the office the policeman questioned me about where I got the small Bible. It was not my Bible, but another worker's Bible. I said, this Bible is from the official church. They asked me, who told you to go and spread the word like this? I said, no one told me. Our villagers, our people, used to drink and gamble and do many bad things, but now we know the word, and it makes us good people. So I want to share this word with my people. They asked, where did you get this religion? Who told you to go and share this religion? To protect others, I made up a story so they wouldn't know about the church. I said, I cut up a log and floated it along the river so that I could go out to a more civilized area. Floating on the river, I went to the market areas. I saw my own people walking to an area and asked where they were going. They said they were going to a church, so I joined them. That is how I learned about this religion. I was going to sell the log at the market. I used to smoke, drink, and curse, but then I heard the word. It changed me, and I no longer curse, drink, or smoke. I shared with them how the word changed me. That is why they wanted to listen to me. They said, what do you preach? I told them, we sing like this and we pray. I began singing a song for the police. Love Jesus day and night. Love him more and more. I didn't finish the song. One policeman hit me. Then they invited me to smoke. They were testing me. I told them I didn't smoke. The chief gave me some cigarettes from his pocket. He put one right in front of my face on the table and said, smoke. I said, I don't smoke. Then the police took out his pistol and threatened to shoot me if I didn't smoke. Although I was the only preacher in this area, I wasn't afraid. Afterwards, they gave me some noodles. I did not eat because I wanted to fast and pray. They told me to sing again. I sang again the whole song very joyfully. That night they gave me a mat and I slept on the dirt floor. A policeman guarded me inside the room. It was not a prison. It was the office of the police. I had no blanket to keep warm, but by his grace I slept anyway. That night I thought about how the Lord knows the number of hairs on my head. This was the first time I had been arrested, so I did not know what to expect. I did not think of my wife or children or anything. From 7 to 9 in the morning, they asked me to build a fence for the police station. They drank wild wine while I worked so they could have more courage. They got drunk. Later on, they beat me and questioned me again. I just answered the same things as yesterday. Before they would beat me, they would ask me to sing. When they beat me like, like this, it made me sweat, but I felt very healthy and strong. I was singing, Love Jesus, Day and Night. When the chief of the police hit me, I prayed for the blood of Jesus to cover me. Even though I felt pain when he hit me, I said, praise the Lord. The chief of police backed off and said that something had pushed him away. There were two more Christian workers, Brother Tu and Brother Dong, who were also being beaten. The police took turns. They focused on beating me the most and the others just a little bit. They said I was the president, the chairman. The beatings lasted nearly two hours. When they beat me, the other two Christians would pray. The police would take off their hats to beat me. I saw them perspiring very red, also shaky. They seemed afraid. They said that I had kung fu or something. The Vietnam police said, You are the one who goes against our ancestors' religion. When we believed in Jesus, we no longer practiced ancestor worship and no longer gave food to the ancestors. You are the one against our morals, against our ethics. They say their ideology is atheism, but really they have ancestor worshipers. If I were a Buddhist, they would not have beat me. One policeman behind Brother Two kicked him in the head and Brother Two nearly fell. These other two Christians were forced to sing also. Now the officers said as they stopped to eat bread, you pray so that your God will give you a charm. I said I did not feel like eating. The police ate the inside of the bread and gave me the crust. I, still, I said I still didn't feel like eating. The others were given food more politely, but not me. They continued to insult me. About 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they took me to the provincial police, but they did not take the other two. Three policemen with guns were with me. I sat in the back of their jeep, chained. 
This is the special jeep in which they carry the criminal in the back of the cage. The police station they took me to was bigger, a criminal prison in, in Folk Long, 30 kilometers away. When we got there, they said I had already eaten, although I had not had anything. I was, I was in no pain at all. When the two brothers, Brother Tu and, and Brother Dong, returned to the village, the people asked, How is Brother Lim? Did you, did you see how he got hurt? The brothers said, No, he didn't get hurt. He looked very healthy when he got into the Jeep. They went back and told my wife. My wife also laughed with joy. She praised and thanked the Lord and continued to pray. These district police are more polite than the community police. The village police told them I sang, so the district police required me to sing. They asked me, why do you always report the same thing? I said that I only knew one thing, the gospel, and so there was nothing else to tell. They took me to a prison cell. There were only two holes in the wall for air to come in and out. It was very dark inside. The door was metal with a window flap in it. There were four prisoners inside that cell, and I was the fifth person. The old prisoners all had shaven heads. Since I was a newcomer, they tormented me and tried to trick me. They made me take off my coat, shirt, and pants. They had only short pants. They were in prison for stealing and murdering. Their ankles were chained, but they were not chained to the wall. I talked to these prisoners about Jesus. One asked, are you better than us because you have hair and we all, we're all shaved? I replied, no, I am worse than you. I have a very heavy crime. They asked what my crime was. I said, preaching the gospel. They asked what religion I was preaching. I told them I was preaching the gospel. The gospel is to believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe in Jesus and you will be changed. They asked me if I wanted to smoke. I said, I don't smoke because I believe in Jesus. I shared how the Lord protected me when the five policemen beat me, that they stopped beating me because they got, they got sick right there. When we received food, we each had a bowl of rice, half a handful of salt, and a bowl of soup, mainly water. I said, let us pray so that the Lord can free us. I closed my eyes and prayed. I don't know whether they closed their eyes or not. Then I ate only three or four spoonfuls and gave the rest to them because they looked so terribly thin. I gave rice to one man. The other three men did not eat my portion. They looked at me and saw that I was also skinny. They were afraid I would die so they wouldn't take it from me. I said, I am all right. I am strong, but they still didn't take my portion. The next morning, I was called for more questioning. When they finished their report, they released me. My wife was planning to borrow some money to buy some food to visit me because we didn't have any money. But then she saw me coming joyfully down the road. The whole village rejoiced. I ran right into my home. The people in the village came and asked how I was. I told them that the Lord did a miracle. They listened and were very touched. The Christians in the Foklong area also asked me, are you okay? I told them that when the police beat me, they wanted to dislocate a rib, but nothing happened. I have continued to preach until now. My favorite Bible verse is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, praise God. Amen. <laughs> praise God. Amen. I just so appreciate being able to pray for people like that because it gives you an understanding. It's not just a name or it's not just somebody that you think you know, but uh, these people have real experiences and they are not giving up. They're not caving in. And amen. And I think on amen. Praise God. And God's grace is the same for all believers. You know, when we are confronted in this nation, and we're confronted all the time, you know, don't think that these, uh, um, you know, cases where uh, people are being told they might have, I, re I saw that in Georgia, they passed a law that forbids the government to force anybody to perform a same-sex marriage. But there are about 400, amen. But there were about 400 companies that protested them passing that law. 400 companies that sided with the LBGT community, XYZ community, whoever they are. And they, they uh, decided that they would rather see 
us forced to marry people of the same sex than allow us freedom of religion. So these are places where you spend your money. These are places that you, people like Google and, and I forget who else it was, but some of the big companies. You understand what I'm saying? So this is persecution in this country, folks. You know, no, no doubt about it. And I'm not saying we got to go jump up and get excited, but we must hold our ground. We must pray and we must resist. Amen. And stand pat for the gospel. Amen. Um, so this is uh, this this uh, article I'm going to read you is let me see the LCA, LC, ACLJ uh, American Center for Law and Justice. You know, so uh, they have been very very um, very very active in making sure that they defend persecuted believers. Uh, okay. So this one is, it's genocide, State Department deadline looms next week. March 17th is a congressionally mandated deadline by which the Obama administration is to determine whether the atrocities committed by the uh, Islamic State ISIS against Christians constitute genocide. The deadline was imposed by the omnibus bill President Obama signed on December 18, 2015, according to the text of the bill, not later than 90 days after enactment of this act, the Secretary of State shall submit to the appropriate congressional committees an evaluation of the persecution of, including attacks against Christians and people of other religions in the Middle East by violent Islamic extremists, including whether the situation constitutes mass atrocities or genocide, as defined in Section 1091 of Title 18 United States Code. The State Department is also to provide a detailed description of any proposed atrocities prevention response. So if they have any programs or any plans to stop this, that has to be submitted at that time. The decision by the State Department to recognize ISIS system, systematic targeting of Christians as genocide will come none too soon for those who are being persecuted, raped, tortured, and beheaded. As we stated before, Christians in Syria and Iraq have been under attack from ISIS for nearly two years. Thousands have lost their lives. Thousands more have been forced to flee their homes or be killed. As we pointed out, in our letter to Secretary of State Kerry, testimonies of refugees who have fled Iraq and Syria are numerous and numerous news reports, including eyewitness accounts, clearly show that ISIS has killed and physically injured thousands of Christians with the intent of eliminating Christians as a religious group in the territories ISIS governs. This constitutes the crime of genocide under title, you know, the U.S. U.S. Um, law. The LC ACLJ has been drawing attention to this genocidal persecution and been actively engaged by calling on the U.S. and the U.N. to join other international bodies and publicly condemn ISIS actions. On Friday, our affiliate in Strasbourg, the European Center for Law and Justice, will be presenting an oral statement before the U.N. calling for a declaration of genocide. With the State Department's deadline fast approaching, we must continue to pressure the Obama administration to declare ISIS atrocities genocide. The State Department must join with the US, United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, the Holy See's representative in the, at the UN in Geneva, Pope Francis, the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe, and the European Parliament, all of whom have declared the ISIS atrocities against Christians and other religious minorities as genocide. We will continue fighting on Capitol Hill to ensure that this administration recognizes the genocide against Christians and provides them critical legal protections. The House Foreign Affairs Committee last night unanimously moved forward legislation re recognizing the genocide and pressuring the Obama administration to take action to protect dying Christians. We are pressing for a full vote in Congress on this critical resolution as soon as next week. We must act now to protect Christians and other religious minorities from annihilation. Okay. Praise God. 
Here's a, one, another one of their updates. Says, we are making major progress in the heartbreaking case of a Christian who was tortured to death by local police in Pakistan, demanding justice for his family and accountability for the perpetrators of this horrific act of persecution. The Organization for Legal Aid, OLA, which is our international affiliate, uh, is our international affiliate, the European Center for Law and Justice's Pakistan office, has filed a petition in the Lahore High Court for a new autopsy for a Christian who had been murdered. As we have reported earlier, a Christian man, Likat Masi, had been tortured and murdered by local police for allegedly stealing property from his Muslim employer, Hamid, who is the son of a former member of the Punjab Assembly and currently a member of Imran Khan's political party. They had tortured and killed Likat in front of his son trying to obtain a confession. The four doctors who performed an autopsy did not record bruises and marks of violence clearly visible in the pictures taken of Likat's body by his family. The OLA filed a petition for a new autopsy by an independent medical board before a special medical magistrate. The magistrate delayed for three days, saying that he did not have authority to order disinterment and another autopsy. After we provided a copy of the case law showing that he indeed did have such authority, he dismissed the petition as premature. We then filed a petition in the Lahore High Court who ordered the investigation officer to submit his report the next day. As is common in Pakistan, the investigation officer did not appear on time. The court called the case three times at different hours and the officer appeared at last. The judge held the officer in contempt of court. At the next hearing, the court told us to name the four doctors who performed the autopsy as parties to the case. We added them and filed the amended petition. The court has now ordered the hospital's medical superintendent to submit his report. Once the report is filed, the court will make a final decision on our petition. The next critical hearing in this case is scheduled for next week. Police torture is rampant in Pakistan. Detainees are tortured to obtain confessions. Many times the detainees die and there's still no recourse against the police. Even if the victim's family members press charges, the police threaten the family that they will get the same fate. Investigations are not done properly and doctors are bribed to falsify autopsy reports. Investigations and trials are delayed, causing evidence to be lost or go stale. Ultimately, the family of the victim gives up and stops pursuing the case, or the perpetrators are never punished due to faulty investigations. This is how persecution is promoted and protected within Pakistan's legal system. You know, our country sends millions, billions of dollars of aid to that country every year. Similar tactics are being used in Likat's case. The six policemen who tortured and killed him have not yet been arrested, even though a criminal case is pending. The investigating officer's report only says that Likat died in police custody. Another police report says he was taken to the hospital because he felt heart pain. The autopsy report does not mention any injuries or signs of torture. We will continue to stand up and fight for Likat and his family to obtain justice for them. Our attorneys in the U.S. and in Pakistan are constantly collaborating, filing necessary paperwork, and making appropriate arguments in the courts. We have also filed a separate application with the health department for an investigation of doctors who performed the autopsy. We will update you as the case progresses. This case is a perfect example of why we must continue to fight back and stand up for persecuted Christians. This devastated Christian family would have no recourse, no avenue for justice, and the perpetrators of persecution would be further empowered to persecute other Christians. We must take a valiant stand for Christians facing horrific persecution across the world. Their lives depend on your voices. Amen. So voices in prayer and voices wherever God opens a door for us to speak on behalf of people. Amen. People who cannot speak up for themselves. And praise God. So we're going to pray our prayer against persecution and we're going to pray for these individuals. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Praise God. So we have a, an updated uh, 
list from the voice of the martyrs. Miss Nola, I'm going to pray this prayer. Would you mind praying for just calling out these names? Um, and then we can... Can you get them all there? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, yeah, you can. You know what? Get the mic, your mic. I'm going to pray this prayer first, and then you can call out those names. Father, we thank you. We bless and praise and worship you and magnify you. Lord, we pray for persecuted Christians worldwide. We thank you, Lord, that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We stand for our, our brothers and sisters in these different areas and different nations, especially the 40 persecuted nations, this uh, pastor's family in Pakistan. We stand for all of the individuals that we have mentioned today. We thank you, Lord, that as we submit to you, we resist the devil and he must flee. I command you, Satan, to flee from us seven ways. Vengeance belongs to you, O oh God. We resist retaliation against our accusers. We're serving you. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You who sit in the heavens are laughing. Behold their threatenings. Stretch forth your hand to heal, O God, and do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. Do miracles in the name of your son, Jesus. We declare that the way of the ungodly shall perish. They will fall by their own counsels. Lord, you shall judge the people. Judge us, O Lord, according to our integrity that is in us. Let the mischief of those who persecute me return upon his own head. Keep me and keep all of the persecuted Christians as the apple of your eye. Hide us under the shadow of your wings. Thank you for teaching our hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken in our arms. Thank you that you have given us the necks of our enemies. Shut the mouths of the lions that roar their lies against us. Cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cleave to the roof of the mouth. Stop the pointing of the finger against your servant. Stop those who point the finger against us without a cause and who hate us. It's time for you to work, O oh Lord. They have made void your law. Lord, we know that it's nothing with you to help. Help us, O oh Lord our God. O oh, save us according to your mercy. Let our hands prosper and prevail against our enemies. But the Lord is with us as a mighty terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed. They shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. And we thank you, Lord, that those who live godly for you will suffer persecution, but they will be rescued from all harm and all destruction in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Go ahead. Father, we pray for Abel, Sevilla. Planning, who was planning training conferences. Lord, we pray for protection for Abu's Christian family. Lord, we pray for the 11 families expelled from their villages because of their Christian faith. Lord, we, pr we pray for the release of all of Syrian Christians held hostage by ISIS. Lord, we pray for, Jack for Pastor Jackson. Maluku, whose church was attacked. Lord, we pray for Ethiopian Messianic Jews who have been denied their Christian citizenship. We praise God and we ask you for the release of Chang Jai in prison for work in church, work at church school. Lord, we pray for Ainai who was detained and humiliated by the police. Lord, we pray for Pastor Emery Pareli. New development in case against conspirators. Lord, we pray for his safety. Lord, we pray for families planting churches in un unreached areas in North Africa. Lord, we pray for Christian families who've been attacked in the Middle East. Lord, we pray for Samina who requested a Bible in Pakistan. Lord, we pray for Sharon, a widow with four children who's over in Kenya. And Lord, we pray for Zen. Zamiai, wife of an imprisoned pastor, young Quirali over in China. And Lord, we thank you for your mercy. Hold their souls in life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, praise God. Amen. Got all three pages, right? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for hearing and answering our prayer. Thank you, Lord, that we can never pray enough and never pray too much. 
We thank you, Lord, for a greater devotion to prayer, a greater spirit to be given over to prayer, Father, that we will covet time with you, time of solitude with you, to reflect on what it is that you would have us to do, that we would do more to help people in persecuted lands, that we would do more to help people who don't know you, to hear the gospel for the first time. So we thank you, Lord. We bless you. We praise you. and We magnify you. We lift you up, Lord, because you are worthy to be praised, worthy to be magnified, worthy to be adored and glorified. We honor you, Lord, and we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. I feel like we accomplish something every time we, amen, amen, and not that we don't, you know, and, and I'm, I struggle with, I say, well, Lord said, I really teach the word and, you know, all this, but, you know, it's time to put the word to action, you know what I'm saying, there's, we need to do something with the word that we know, and I think sometimes when we start engaging in different realms of prayer and different avenues of prayer, then we can see greater results and in, in greater things. So hopefully just keep your eyes and ears open for praise reports, even in persecuted nations and uh, reports. Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> things that, that are impossible with man are possible with God. And with God, all things are possible. So, yeah, we thank God for that. Well, Howard, why don't you put some worship music? Can you find Holy? Holy is the Lord. We'll play that and we'll allow uh, the Spirit of God to help us to move into the uh, realm of ministry and and time of ministry so that we can praise God. Thank you, Lord. And come into his presence and find out what God wants us to do or if he wants to speak to us. We want to hear what he has to say. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. 